Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Kyle Drink of the Go Low Show. This week's episode is going to be just a little bit different. I have a guest co-host, Andy Johnson of the Fried Egg, and he's going to bring some serious wisdom from his own game, which he's a great player, but also from the PGA Tour. And if you don't follow the Fried Egg, like you really need to check it out. Uh, Andy is super successful and the fried egg has grown and just blown up over the last few years, but it's crazy good insight and news and witty news about PJ tour. And he's got so much insight that he's going to help bring to us. John will be back in our next episode. Uh, he's actually back out on tour, which we're so excited that, um, his guy Austin is back on tour. They're doing their thing. We're excited for him. So we brought Andy in to, um, Phil John's amazing kind of void, and he's going to be helping me bring some just crazy awesome insight about tour players, and we're going deeper into our expectations episode, and we're going to talk about it on even the highest level and some of the differences, and you're going to be in for a really great show, so I'm really excited to bring Andy Johnson on of the fried egg. Again, if you don't follow the fried egg, you need to do that before you even listen to this episode because it's amazing stuff, but... All right, we're going to jump right into it. Coming up, Andy Johnson. Welcome to the Go Low Show, where it's about golf, grit, and your pursuit of greatness. My name is Kyle Aldrink, and I am your co-host, along with my man, John Weir, mental game coach extraordinaire. And in this podcast, we're going to show you everything that you need to know about how to go low in your golf game. And we're excited to bring you that show right now. Expect anything different? Is it his time? Yes! In your life have you seen anything like that? Well, here it comes. Alright, it's time to go. Well, Andy, good to talk to you, man. It's been uh, it's been a long time for sure. But, uh, you know, so John and I had just released an episode on expectations, and I thought it'd be really good um, to talk with you on some more of your experience, but also like what you're seeing on the tour, because you've been obviously around it. You have a very successful podcast about tour players, um, and that's just kind of your life now, right? Hey, Kyle, good to talk to you. Um, been been too long. I need to get yeah. in there. My golf game's in shambles because I haven't seen you in a while. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the tour, there are a lot, lots of up and downs. That's I feel like that's what tour life is. You know, you see it with all the guys. So, you know, they uh, Nobody's Tiger. I think everybody's striving to be what Tiger was, which was just a, the most consistent player we've ever seen. But but so few guys are actually, uh, you know, consistent. I think that's that's the hardest thing about golf is consistency. Right. I mean, and just to like even kick that off, I mean, Jordan Spieth was kind of put through the ringer, don't you think? <laughs> because I don't think anybody can live up to or, or ever live up to like what Tiger Woods was. I mean, it's just a unbelievable talent in person. So like when, you know, Spieth had his struggles, but so what did, what did you speak with a guy like him? I I think that's Jordan Spieth such an interesting study just because I think from a superstar standpoint he obviously you know he's early 20s winning majors and having statistically one of the greatest seasons ever in 2015 and 
I think, you know, expectations are a crazy thing with golf because all of a sudden, you know, he's, it's, it's a different type of pressure when you're the favorite and you're no longer like the upstart. Right. And, um, obviously there's also this quest to always improve and there's an envy that all players seem to have. I'll never forget. I was talking to Luke Donald, um, on our podcast and it was kind of a throwaway question at the end of this podcast. I asked him if there's any round he ever thinks about more than others. And he told me that it was the, the last round in the U S open at, at, uh, Marion, which he played the final round with Justin Rose who went on to win. And Luke obviously struggled that round. I think he shot something like 80 or, um, around there and Rose goes on to win. And he told me that, you know, he came off that golf course and all he could think about was, God, if I could hit the ball like Justin Rose, I, I'd win a lot. And that's where he went and tried to really change the, the way he plays golf, make his, you know, really focus on his weaknesses and, and make them strengths. And the funny thing with golf is I think if, if just, if the, if the tables were turned and Luke, shoots a ridiculous Sunday and Justin Rose struggles, he might look at it and be like, God, if I could only wedge it and, and chip and putt like Luke. And and it might be a completely different. You look at each of their careers and they just went in different directions from there. Man, so, dude, that's, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, and that, and Luke's, you know, somebody I talk about a lot and, um, just for the pure fact, I don't really know a ton about him. So I only speak from what I see as an outsider, but you know, here's somebody who's number one in the world and started to try to change up what they do. And it's like, how many times have we seen that? Like Martin Keimer, um, Jordan, a couple Spieth. Of, Jordan Spieth, right? So it's like, you know, people start to try to change up what they do. And it's like, you know, they end up just kind of falling away. I mean, there's a lot of really great phenoms and, and great talents that we've seen in the public eye, not even to mention the ones like the Thai Tryons that we don't see in the public eye that much. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think that's one of the things though, is that even we even saw it with Tiger. I mean, Tiger went away from Butch Harmon when he was winning basically everything and mm-hmm. re- rebuilt a swing with, with Hank Haney. And it was a quest to become more consistent. And I think that's the thing is that, Everybody looks and they think, no matter what, I think it's one of the things with golf from a mental side of things. And, and it kind of drives me nuts when I listen to people talk about their rounds is it's always, oh, I, you know, I miss this putt here and I miss this putt and nobody ever talks about the putts they make. But the same thing happens on a bigger scale with your golf game is that, you know, I've always in my personal, I've noticed, you know, I don't. I, I always want to make more putts. And when I putt with good putters, that drives me nuts because I'm, I hit the ball better than them all round and they shoot two shots better than me. And it's mm-hmm. like, God, if I could just putt like that guy. And it, there's always this envy for other aspects of other people's game or improving certain aspects of your game. And I think if you look at it, one of the toughest things to do is improve, uh, a skill improve a weakness without i think one of the things that happens when you really work hard to improve a weakness sometimes you can neglect your strengths and mm-hmm. when you lose your strengths especially at the PGA tour level if you're if you slip from 
let's just say 20th and strokes gained approach to 50th that that's a killer right right and and, and you're right because like i mean that was kind of luke's thing right is somebody got in his ear and said dude you got to hit it further so didn't he try to rebuild everything like about hitting it further when his strength was always his short game the same thing with like zach johnson zach johnson just kind of always stayed true to what he does and he just recognizes you know, I'm a really good wedge player and I'm a great short game player. So, and he just kind of stood the test of time with that. Yeah. I, when Luke, Luke had some crazy formula worked out. I can't remember the exact numbers, but he knew he was giving up a shot to a shot and a half off the tee every single round, which is a, a, a crazy thing to deal with at when you think about getting to number one in the world, when every day you show up to the golf course down a shot to everybody and he knew he had to make it up uh, uh, approaching the green and on and around the greens and if you look at his stats for a few years it's just insanity he's he's in the top top 10 of strokes gained approach strokes gained around the green and putting for three or four years straight in every single category which you start to think about it like after the t-ball some of the greatest players and i think one of them now who gets it's finally starting to get the appreciation he deserves is Webb Simpson because if you, mm. you know, distance, if you take just distance out of it, because distance is such a huge advantage in, in today's game, because unlike everything else in golf, you know, you're the, the day that if you hit the ball 330, you know, every day you show up to the golf course, you're going to be able to hit the ball 330. You don't know mm. necessarily how straight it's going to go, but. Nobody knows how straight it's going to go on a daily basis. Nobody knows how close they're going to hit their irons to the pin, and nobody knows how they're going to chip and putt on a daily basis. But with with those guys, the appreciation level I have for guys like Webb Simpson um, and Luke who get to the top towards – I mean, Webb hasn't been number one in the world, but you know he's up into the top five in a, in a power game being a, one of the shortest hitters is just incredible. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean it is, and it's it's crazy with this whole power game, um, and and I'm sure we could go down a wormhole talking about Bryce and DeChambeau, but um, it's it's wild, and like what you said, I think is is super powerful about like keep your strengths your strengths, and not I mean players can be really good a certain way, you know they can be really good short game players. And subpar drivers. I mean, look at Tiger Woods was not a great driver of the ball, like historically. I like I don't know if he's ever been a like a really good driver of the ball. But the guy's phenomenal with an iron in his hands, and he was historically a really great putter. And he dominated like that. Don't you think? Yeah, I mean, the greatest iron player of all time. And mm. irons is where you can make up so much uh so much ground. It's such a, a such an important thing to be great at if you have dreams of playing on the PGA Tour is you want to be a great iron player. Um, I think Tiger early in his career was pretty pretty damn good driver of the golf ball, um, but you know as it as it went on, obviously that that skills diminished, and now he's he's an average. You know, one of the things that made Tiger great early on was he was longer than everybody, and now he's a average length hitter on the PGA Tour. But you still see him play at an elite level because he's still the best iron player in the world. And um, it's not as significant as it used to be. But the thing that he never lost in, in 
his entire career has been that iron player. And that's, that's how you can overcome so much is if you're the greatest at one thing, you know, a player that really comes to mind about this is, is, is Brant Snedeker. Um, Brant Snedeker is not a good ball striker. And, and he's won, I think, eight times on tour. He's been on a ton of Ryder Cup teams because he knows what he's really good. He's great chipper and putter of the golf ball. And he overcomes being a below average ball striker. You know, he's below average off the tee and approaching the greens, but he's so good at what he's good at that he knows, it, you know, he's going to hit the ball well enough a couple uh, enough times a year that that chipping and putting can carry him. Yeah. So I want to ask you this, like years ago, and I don't know if he still stands behind the statement, but Sean Foley once came out and just said like, look, putting doesn't really matter. And I know he's talking more about the tour and I, I kind of know why he said it, but like to me, I mean, putting is kind of make or break. I mean, it's, it's darn near half your score when you break it down. So, like, so what's your take on putting? So I, I, completely know what he's referencing and i think the reality i kind of think is ball striking like you're not going to be in contention in a pga tour event if you're not hitting the ball well mm-hmm. that's and i think content ball striking gets you in the hunt putting wins you the tournaments uh the individual tournaments because my my rebuttal to the putting doesn't matter thing is like Kyle, who would you say are the players that you expected to win way more than they have in their career? Like if you just listed off some players. The players I expect to win? Yeah, that haven't won as much as you would have thought they would have won. Um, well, I would like to say Mickelson, but he's won quite a bit. Um. Man, you kind of put me on the spot here, dude. <laughs> like, uh, Sergio. You know, granted, I don't. Yeah, Sergio. Well, yeah, he's a little hothead, but but Sergio, Adam Scott, Gary Woodland, like those are guys that are constantly in contention that don't win a ton, right? And Kuchar? I think one Kucher, I think he's he's yeah, he he could fit in that mold, but I think for the most part, those guys that you're like, God, I can't believe this guy doesn't win more than he does, is typically a below average putter. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the great ball strikers that don't putt well are consistently labeled underachievers. But I think that putting like you're not, you're not going to win on Sunday. Like so much goes into winning and sometimes winning can almost be overrated because of like the luck that goes into it. But I think putting is, is a huge, it's about canning that 20 footer, not missing the seven footer for par on the 14th hole that keeps your momentum going, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it, I think it's even more so on, you know, an amateur competitor level, you know, type thing. I mean, the, the putting is such a big deal. And even in my playing career, you know, like I kind of attribute six footers to what made me a little bit under probably the level I, I really felt I should have been at. And, you know, when I was young, I'm just, I admit, I was kind of naive and I was like, well, I just got to hit it closer. But I really actually wasn't a pretty, pretty darn good iron player. And I gave myself tons of good opportunities, but instead of working on the putts I should have made, I was like, oh, I got to hit it closer. And I see that mentality so much with players because I feel like a lot of that's attributed to what we see on TV too, because we see highlights. 
but everybody mm-hmm. thinks they have to hit it so close. But these guys make putts, and these girls make putts on the tour. They're incredible putters. Yeah, and, and they're incredible. I think the thing that I'm most impressed with with their putting is how few mistakes they make. You know, they don't give away them. They don't miss short three, three and four footers. Their lag putting's incredible. Um, like their speed is so dialed in, and it's not. They know that their put they're gonna drop an occasional twenty footer here and there, and they they could play to twenty feet away, and they're gonna make a couple, uh, you know, around if they give themselves opportunities. And I think, I think the thing that gets underrated is how good of speed control the best putters in the world. Like they, you just never see those guys hit it six feet by, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it, they make their their lives so stress free when you're just tapping in for par if you don't make your putt, you know. Well, and they get up and down a lot too. I mean, so you know, I had a really good talk with uh, Scott Hamilton. And I don't know if you've gotten to know Scott, but he's just an incredible person and he's hilarious to talk to. But, you know, the one thing he's like, nobody gives tour players on either tour um, credit enough for how good their short games are. He's like, they're up and down all the time, but it's everybody. So it's not really that big of a deal. But he's like, they're amazing at short game. Every single person out there. It's uh, my buddy, Zach Blair, who I've gotten to play some uh, good, good amount of golf with. It's amazing. I mean, he gets up and down, and uh, he's he's like a world class chipper of the golf ball. But mm-hmm. it is, you put him anywhere, he's getting up and down. It, it's nuts how, and even uh, you know, I got another buddy who's on the Corn Ferry Tour, Vince India. It, mm-hmm. It's I'll never forget. We I was playing against Vince. I think I was I had him on the ropes. Um, we were playing and. 17th i'm in there like 10 feet away he's like 30 yards away in a bunker he had a horrible horrible approach shot on this par three and he just holes it and i miss mine and it's like how did i just you know but that's what the they're the best players in the world because they're really good at they're they're really good at at a lot of things involved with golf and i think going back to what you were talking about with like improving skills is one of the things it's it's so hard to get drastically better at a weakness whereas if you can be the be- if you're the best player in the world at a certain aspect of golf whether it's driving the golf ball hitting irons uh chipping and putting you're probably going to make it to tour to the tour um so there is like a case to make your strength stronger there's a real case to being the best at something because improvement so hard of weaknesses well sure and i mean and you know like jordan my guy jordan and you know him and i always have that talk i'm like dude with your length like you got to be really good with your driver you got to be really good with your wedges like to me it's it's not even that valuable for him and i mean sure there's value i'm not saying it's not at all but i mean a player like that who can hit it 350 doesn't really need to be spending a lot of time on seven irons you know, they need to get really sharp with wedges and make sure they can score when they need to score. I mean, it, we saw it last week with Bryson. He he averaged he had an average of 107 yards into par fours last week. Yeah, that's nuts. I mean, it's just, just lob wedges for him. 
he had <laughs> numerous numerous occasions where he's thirty yards away from greens. You know, in in that case, like I, if I was Bryce, I'd start to think about reconfiguring my bag setup and taking out some long irons because the only time he's hitting long irons, he's not even really hitting them on par fives anymore. It's like par threes, maybe occasional one par three a, a tournament. Uh, what you know per per course? That's that long par three, uh, on a golf course. Like that's the only times he's hitting more than five iron. Right. So, so I mean, it's, it's, so it's with all the all this time that you kind of spent around the tour in the past. I mean, how old is the fried egg now? Uh, we're four and a half years. So we're we're yeah. Like, it's it's been, it's been a while, but so you you spent a feels lot of like time twenty years. <laughs> I mean, you work hard, dude. I mean, you're you're pumping out a lot of awesome content. But um, I mean, is there anything that you really felt like you just kind of learned that just totally kind of shook up your way of thinking about golf, just from all the time you spent and writing about it, and covering it? Oh man, that's a that's an interesting question. I think I think I I I value consistency more and winning is amazing and somehow I feel like winning can be underrated and overrated but I also marvel at guys like you know if somebody comes in like the top five or top ten of every major of the year that's unbelievable you know Mm -hmm. to me um that's something I think that I I value more um I think I have a greater appreciation of how hard professional golf is, like how difficult sure. it is to get to the PGA tour. Um, it's a, you know, the, the, the way the system's kind of set up, it's so hard to get there for, for guys. And you, if you keep, if you keep your card for a few years, it's, it's a great gig because then it becomes pretty tough to lose your card. But, Getting there is just so hard, and there's so there's so many good players now. Not to so dash ma- anybody's dreams. No, no. I mean, it is like I've I've gone through it, you know, and um, you know, I'm going through it with Jordan and just being out there, even at final stage, and seeing all these former tour winners, tour players, and um, it's it's wild, man. It's like you see these Monday qualifiers and um you know, the amount of talent in there, what it takes to get through. I mean, it's, it's a hard road, but it's a, it's a, it's a good one to battle. But, um, so like, you know, other players in these kind of pitfalls, I guess. So you see any like major pitfalls that tour players kind of get into that kind of, uh, will set them back. Cause I mean, you look at, again, like we talked about speed, you know, Jason day has been kind of, I haven't heard from him a whole lot. Um, and again, I, I don't have the time to follow it, obviously, and this is what you cover, but, um, you know, just players like that off the top of my head, Spieth, Day, like, you know, the, well, the number one, so all of a sudden they're where? That's, it's crazy. I mean, those guys in 2015 were the clear-cut two best players in the world. I'll mm-hmm. never forget that PGA at Whistling Straits with them duking it out. Um, it was incredible golf. Both of them had just unbelievable years. I think they both won five times um, that year. They were both got to number one in the world right around that time. Jason Day for 18 months was probably the closest we've seen to somebody with Tiger. And, and for different reasons, they're both, 
<laughs> I mean, if you, imagine the odds you could have gotten, let alone that both of them would have been out of the top 10 in the world um, in 2015. If you said in 2020, Jordan Spieth and uh, Jason Day will not be in the top 10 in the world. You probably could have gotten crazy good odds. And and they both aren't in the top 50, which is just nuts. And obviously, Day, I think that's been a back problem. You know, the back pro- injuries have really derailed them. And I think similar to a Fred Couples, when you just can't, like, you can't practice. It's mm-hmm. a, you can't be, That's I guess that's a good kind of just, simple thing is you're probably seeing what Jason Day limited practice like how much work it takes to get to number one I one thing that always frustrates me is people talking about how DJ doesn't work hard um and it's you don't get to number one in the world and win 21 times on tour if you don't work hard and I think Jason mm-hmm. Day is like a perfect example of the difference of you know if you've got a bad back and you can't put in the hours what happens and you know now he's a middle of the road PGA tour player. Um, obviously we, you know, everybody probably would love to see him back and is a really great player. Albeit the pace of play on Sundays is a lot better when he's not in the mix. Um, <laughs> but, but I think he, he's, he's an injury example of, of what kind of happens when you can't practice consistently. And Jordan Spieth perf- is a example of, of, you getting somewhere and and whether whether it's a mental thing at this point where it's you know not being able to trust what's going on i think he's talked a lot about how how hard it is for him to stand over the you know to to trust you know he's just trying to get that trust back um in his golf swing and i think that there are two two different cases but just the um the fragile the how fragile great golf is you know it's not something for a lot of people that that sticks around for a really long time yeah you know and i think that that players all the time think that they're kind of alone when they feel that same way and that just goes to show you that you know the best players in the world deal with that same stuff because it's it's really easy to lose confidence and we've all stood over shots going where is this going you know, and that's a miserable feeling to sit over the ball and just not have a clue. But, you know, my experience with these players is like they start over trying and overthinking because especially like someone like Spieth, who is probably he's just getting drilled, dude. It's like the media was pretty relentless to him. And, you know, people start, oh, what's wrong with Spieth? You know, what's going on with Spieth? And, you know, you start that's got to start wearing on you, too, because, you know, he sees that. So now he's out there and like you, you were seeing him doing stuff on the range he's never done before. He's like grinding for four hours before he even tees off in a, in a tournament. And like, you would never see speed do that. He would hit a few shots, go talk to some people. He would be calm and relaxed and, you know, kind of confident what he's doing and just literally get warmed up and go. And he's out there doing drills and, and all this stuff, trying to find something. And it's like, you just kind of know that somebody's lost there and they're just literally over trying at that point, overthinking and overtraining, which is actually, a real thing too is like to overdo this trying to find that stuff. 
yeah, it's the the best golf tends to happen for most people when they're when they're trying the least. I think that's mm-hmm. uh, it, golf is such a game of opposites, and a lot of times when you're in one of those struggles, I personally have found that space is the best thing that you can do for it. It's just say, you know what, I'm gonna go away from this for a little while and come back when I'm not thinking about it as much. And and I think a big, you know, that's that's the hardest thing to do, especially when it's your job. That's the other mm. thing is like when you're a professional golfer, the you're the all you're thinking about is playing golf, you know? Yeah, I mean you have to, right? Because that's your livelihood. I mean, I guess you can make the argument Spieth has got a lot of money, but um but still, I mean, I hate to bring it up because I I mean I like to do it a lot, but Smiley Kaufman is another great example of somebody who was on their way to on top of the world and then it's just been and a big time struggle, right? Yeah, I I mean that's a that sucks. It's 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 terrible when it happens to somebody because it's like the you, the thing that you would hate to have happen to anybody that you you know as as, as long as they are seemingly a good guy like Smiley Kaufman is, um, mm-hmm. it's just terrible because it's you know. It, golf is there's nobody else nowhere to turn for help on the golf course when you're struggling really and that's one of the hardest things about it is that when things start going sideways there's just so so easy to let doubt slip in and creep in to your uh to your game you know right i just did i just did this flashback friday for our for one of my pods the shotgun start on david gossett and he talked about so david gossett obviously was a great player he's a all-american um two-time All-American USAM winner. He won in 2001 and on a sponsor exemption um, when he was 22. But then he tried to get better. He tried to change his game. He, he switched teachers, and he went to David Ledbetter. And he, and he had this quote, um, I had always wondered if expectations could be a burden. Looking back now, I'd have to say, yes, they can be. You hear a lot of stories about guys changing things to try and get better and ending up worse. I'm one of those stories. So it's like the perfect example of, of at some point, if you've gotten to the PGA Tour, you're really good at, at certain aspects of the game, and overhauling is probably one of the worst things you can do because that, that unique, your unique game, your, almost your golf fingerprints, what got you there, right? And so many people get there and think that's the time to change. Wow, that's, I mean, that's that's a really good point. And, you know, my, I'll add my two cents on that, too. It's like it, most people are looking to change, I think, the wrong thing when they do try to make these over, overhauls. Is they, they try to change their swings. And to me, it's like, I mean, yeah, there might be a little something off that, that might change anything, but typically changing a swing is not not it. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if you can name more than five players that literally changed their swing, especially on the tour level that made a drastic change for the better. Like you said, most of the people that are trying to make these changes end up going downhill. And especially if you're a good player, I mean, you're, you're probably swinging just fine. Cause I, I just don't believe that swings set people apart. Um, I think there's a lot of different ways to do it when you know your unique way and you can control the face of the club and control where the ball goes, that's about all you need to do. Isn't there, there's something, there's gotta be something with self-correction too. 
Like the ability, if you swing a certain, if you swung a certain way your whole life, you know how to fix it because of years of experience, right? Well, I'll I'll default to you. I mean, how many times did you and I work on the same crap? It's the same thing every time. I, you know, that's, that's how I, I still can somewhat hit the ball is because I just like go back to like, okay, I remember like six years working on this one feel and I go back to a certain feel and that's like kind of how I self-correct nowadays. Well, and, and you know, that's, that's honestly the beautiful thing because just, and I, it's funny cause I was just talking about this with some players this morning and uh, one just kind of laughs because he's like, it's always the same crap. <laughs> but it's like when you when you embrace that it's like your body just doesn't change much motion doesn't change much so like it's usually the same flaws like even though tigers changed his swing a bunch he has the same miss it's the same thing um but like so with you you know we did work on kind of the same building on the same thing over and over i mean you just got better with it every single year and to the point where you know you did have a really good summer and qualify for the u.s mid-am and you know, you played a lot of really good golf then, and it's like literally just had to revisit that. I mean, there's sometimes where you might be off and you just need to revisit it, but that's really the extent of it. And then it's getting really good with that skill. Like, can you control the amount the ball's fading, drawing? Um, you know, can you control and trust? You know, again, it's trusting. It's, I mean, at that point, it's all mental, man. You can't tell me that. Like you look at the Corn Ferry Tour versus the PGA. I like I always argue there's more cookie cutter swings on the Corn Ferry Tour than there is the PGA. But the difference of the PGA players is their self belief and their confidence, like 100. percent The difference between Michael Jordan and you know Stephen Jackson was confidence. I mean, they had the, they're the same athletic ability. I mean, Michael Jordan just had just a whole different mindset and confidence about him and that's really the difference maker between the elite especially i think that so much too with the the greens you know on the greens it's it's funny i i I haven't been playing very much golf in the last few years and i played i played three days in a row last week and i started playing really well so yeah i started hitting the ball good again it was it was really after the 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 first 27 versus the second 27 were were like a revelation um but the one of the things is that i i you know time away i think has almost made me a better putter because i have so much better mentality over it but i had this this sounds this is so basic and so stupid but on uh on my last round uh last week I I just told myself and somehow I got was able to get into the mindset. I think part of it is how hard it is to get into this mindset where I was just picking lines and hitting the putt and I wasn't mm-hmm. worried at all about the next putt. And sure enough, I made everything I looked at, you know? And I I made a ton of birdies and it was it was crazy. Um but it was just it's so simple, but it's so hard to get into the mentality and then trust it also. Well, yeah. And, and here's, here's the hard part. And that's, that's the beauty of it. I mean, there's so much psychology that we could go down the road of why that's important. But like when you simplify it down to just something, like you said, so basic and so simple, it, it usually is 100% better than anything else. And it's hard for players today because everything is so complex because for for teachers and coaches and information to stand out, it has to be kind of like new and, and it's shocking almost like people, like everything, 
even when I went to these like top teacher summits and things, I mean, I didn't understand half the stuff they were saying because people are trying to shock and awe. They're trying to stand out. You don't stand out with simple or basic. Mm-hmm. So true. It's like who can use the most big words and who can who can, you know, say that they're redefining something that's been like a longstanding practice. And I think that's and that and that ties back to the idea of changing your swing and why it can sometimes be detrimental if you're making wholesale changes and you're already a really good player is that you lose the simplicity in your golf swing because you're trying to be someone that you something that you you aren't the you know you're trying to change the natural way your body moves right for sure man and you know it's always kind of driven me crazy when players go to coaches for help or whatever and the first thing they want to do is video their swing or put them on track man or or do whatever and it's it's not even like you're really looking at the player's game and trying to figure out how to help and in most cases it's like you know, and you know this, how much is like just strategy, pure strategy alone could change it. And I don't believe that there's like a kind of a system that everybody can follow, by the way. Like, I just don't. I know there's some things out there, but I feel like certain players are going to strategize a course differently based on their games and based on essentially how their confidence and their decisions. Like, yeah, that's great to say, like, if the, if, the fairway is this, you need to play this. But sometimes, man, you're just riding the flow and you just got a bang driver. <laughs> like, you know, it actually yeah. takes you out of your comfort zone to just to lay up or whatever. Yeah. I mean, well, and that's the thing is that it's if you're uncomfortable, you're probably not going to make a good golf swing, regardless mm-hmm. of if it's the smart play. And I think a lot of people would say, well, if it's a smart play, you should be able to get yourself comfortable with it. But you know, something I've kind of learned with my game is like when I'm playing well, I'm a really, really good iron player. And mm-hmm. as long as I'm in the fairway, I'm not probably not going to make a bogey. Right. And I'm going to make birdies and pars. And especially at the level of golf, I'm not out there. I'm not trying to Monday qualify and don't need to shoot 62. You know, I'm playing mid amp golf and, and, uh, you know, at that point, like, if I'm in the fairway, I'm going to shoot. If I hit a lot of fairways, I'm probably going to shoot under par is like, a, you know, it's I know that. And I, I think that's the thing is like it is golf, such a personal game and strategy. There are like some good basic parameters you should follow, I think. And I think there are mm-hmm. different ways you can do strategy. And I think strategy it, it you know, blanket strategy is great. Big data is great. But if you have big data on yourself, that's more powerful, especially once you understand the basics. Like I always have felt like when I turned 27, I became infinitely smarter on the golf course. And that's how I am not nearly as good as I was when I was 23 at golf, but I probably would shoot about the same scores, if not better now, because I just don't, I'm not an idiot, you know? (laughs) one way to put it i mean well that's the thing is like just and not letting your emotions like emo that's the other side of it is just the pure emotional stuff with golf like how often do kids hit bad drives after they three putt like that's like just it's almost like you could put your money on it if you went to a a junior or an amateur tournament you watch a kid three putt they're probably going to hit a bad drive on the next hole 
I mean, dude, you're spot on. And like I said, that's that's kind of part of this the last episode we just released. It's it's expectations are killer. And you know, so again, going back kind of to the tour world, I know I have multiple kind of videos that I just took of the TV of players. I remember two of them off the top of my head. I think it was uh maybe Scott Stallings and JB Holmes for sure, but I remember interviews with them and they just lit it up and I think it was Holmes was saying you know, I've been, I just had a couple bad weeks, uh, bad practice. And he goes, I finally just said, you know what? I just went out there. I told my caddy, just point somewhere. I'm going to hit it. And that was my expectations for the day. And then he, he was in the final group of the, this major championship, I think, and almost won it. Um, but I'll never forget him saying that. He's like, I just, you know what? He's like, just point and I'm going to hit it there. And that was my expectation. And learning to drop these expectations is usually a big deal. So my, my saying I always have is you should have very high expectations of yourself in practice and very low on the golf course or yeah. of what's going to happen basically. But people flip that. They just half-ass practice and then they go out there and think they should be magical on the course. And it just doesn't make a lot of sense. I, I agree with that. I, I think like so many of the best rounds you'll play are when you don't expect to play a great round. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are so many times and, I think anybody that's listening that's played tournament golf, like you get so amped up and you're so excited to play in something. Something, and I always struggled. I have always struggled when I played tournaments at my home course, like not like my club championship or something, but like when we had a uh, we had a CDG, we had a amateur match play at my home club, and I like was so amped up to play, and I played two rounds like I would never go shoot what I shot I, I think I shot like 76 76 and it's like if I play on Saturday and Sunday with, with like I'm never shooting that but there's expectation there's almost it's harder to play when you're playing at home sometimes for like a big tournament that's not like your normal club tournament because you raise your expectation level it's like oh I shoot I shoot 68 here all the time. I should be able to sleep my way into match play. Um, and it's that expectation level raises. And that's why I think sometimes, like, I always kind of liked going and playing golf courses that I hadn't played at because I didn't have an expectation going into it. You, you said something to me um, years ago that I tell a lot of people still that it, it still just kind of blew me away, but it's, it's, pretty smart but you talked about qualifiers and you go i want to find the hardest qualifier i can play in and i never heard anybody say that before but your your reasoning you told me is because you said it weeds out all the bad players and oh, you're like yeah. if i play is that if i play well i can make it through it doesn't matter who i'm playing against but i'm not going to get beat out by somebody that's not as good as me for just kind of lighting up an easy course which i thought was a pretty cool mindset well, yeah, I think like qualifiers are such a unique beast. I I, I hate qualifiers so much, but I grew to like really like them and start to play well at them at the end. I guess like my career's kind of over for now, but at the end of my, uh, you know, I started to play the best amateur golf I played. I started to love qualifiers. And there was a couple things like if you go play somewhere hard and you're a good player, you're going to probably get out because you can't, I love places that people can't slap it around as like, as at the time, like I felt like I was one of the best, you know, ball strikers in, in any field that I was in. So I'd always like hard golf courses, but the other big shift to me 
I was so obsessed when I was younger with numbers and and the number that I thought would get out of a qualifier. Like, oh, you know, and inevitably when you have a number in your head, you're always going to end up around that number at the end of the day. And what I, I had this big shift. I can't remember where it was. I, I had a shift in my mentality where one day... I think it was, I was playing actually the course I grew up playing. It was Lake Bluff Golf Club, which is this easy muni for a state amp qualifier. And I was just playing lousy. And I was all worried and nervous about the number. And we had a rain delay. And the rain delay was like the best thing that happened to me. Because during the rain delay, I was thinking to myself, what are you doing? Like, why are you, why you have this made up? number in your head and I think I went back out I shot 32 or something on the back nine but I realized at that point the only thing I should be thinking about is just just go play good because if I play well in a in a state qualifier I'm going to get in like if I play good to mediocre I'm getting in and then it became like okay when you start to get look and I started to play better and better in USGA qualifiers that I traditionally struggled because I'd get that high expectation thing. But then I just, my objective be like, go play good, you know? And, and when I'd play well, I knew I was right around the number, you know? And hmm. in, and all I had to control, it wasn't about a number. It was just about playing well. It, it sounds so simple, but it's like it changed. Like, don't think about numbers. Just think about playing well. Right. It's just taking care of your job and seeing where the chips fall. Well, because you can play, you can play well and make a bogey on a hole. Like, you know, if it's mm -hmm. blown twenty five and it's four seventy yard par four, and you hit, you know, you hit two good shots, but you're forty five feet away, and you have a tough two putt and you three putt, like. You, if you're thinking about, oh, I, I have to shoot two over or better, like all of a sudden you're like, you're freaked out because it's like, oh, I just made a bogey. I'm one over, you know, B versus if it's, if you're just like, oh, I just have to play well. And you're like, you know what? I played that hole well. I just, you know, it's just a hard hole. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, I mean, you you're know, right, you dude. hit yeah. good shots, right? Because if you hit good shots, you're going to make birdies. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Could I mean, be. dude, you're, yeah, you're, you're spot on, man. It's like, it's, it's such a good mindset to be in. It's just like, you just hit good shots. And it, I mean, basically what you're saying is you just can't get mad over stupid stuff. <laughs> That's what so many people do. And like not thinking about score as your determinant, because this is the other thing. This was a big, a big moment too, is I played, um, I played a state qualifier at Kemper Lakes once, and uh, I played with uh, two guys I know well, but they're both like number freaks, you know, and they're always talking about what the score, what's, what do I need, you know, it's this is what the number is going to be. And I remember we we were one of the first groups off, and it was really firm, and it was the rough was just brutal. And, you know, Kemper had a major championship at it. And I remember like, I was playing pretty good golf. Like I felt like I was playing well, um, but I was four over on the uh, on the 18th hole, which is a crazy hole out there. There's water. It's just a stupid hole. But um, you know the guys I'm playing with are both five over, and they're convinced the numbers uh, four over. 
they're convinced they're and they're telling me it's four over and so i'm like thinking okay i gotta make par and i hit my shot out there and the green's surrounded by water and i'm like in mm-hmm. the in the short rough and i and i like i'm like you know i didn't have a good lie at all um and i was like well i gotta make par i gotta hit this on the green and like i try and hit it pretty close to the flag and i hit it in the water and I make I I then I'm pissed off. I drop. I don't think it really matters. I end up making a triple. I shoot 79, and I'm just fuming. And it's like you know I'm thinking in my head, you know, bogey wasn't that bad from where I was. Like I could just launch it over the back of the green where there's no trouble, and I could have just chipped up and tried to make par that way. And I get in, and then I'm driving back to. I lived in the city, so it's a long drive, and I'm you know I was not being a, a socially good driver because I'm refreshing the scores and like I'm looking at it and I end up getting in on the number and the <laughs> low score of the day was 75 so like if I make par I, I'm one off the low score of 90 players playing and if I you know if I make bogey I'm like really easily in but it was a realization like I played really good today and I was mm-hmm. four over you know and it's not you can't have that preconceived notion of a number because right. the number is just going to get you in trouble yeah it's it's a hard one for for people to get out and you know i did a survey with a bunch of college teams a while back and you know just basically the number one question was to all the players what is the number one thing you struggle with and the top basically the top the second to top answer the first one was nerves, but the second the top one was like overthinking about score. Like it's just it's a thing that players battle with and they just have a hard time not calculating and speculating and just staying in that in that zone in that moment. But like what you said is perfect. If it's just like just take care of my job, you know, as simple as like putting is just see the line hit it on the line. Like <laughs> let the score fall where it does. And I know that's easier said than done, but well, um and I- and on the flip side, that's what makes tour players so freaking good is that they, like I have, I always say that I'm a scuba diver or I'm a, I'm not a scuba diver. I'm a, I'm a snorkeler because, and, and like the, uh, the tour players are nuclear submarines because I get under, under par and eventually that snorkel goes too far under and it gets just the water comes rushing in and I got to go up for air. And uh, those guys, they get like just under the water. They just want to go deeper. And that's, mm-hmm. they have that same thing with going under par as like there's like an aversion that so many people, they get under par, they get four under. And it's like you're four under through six. And all of a sudden you're like, oh boy, I'm four under through six. I, I better protect this. I don't want, to. and it's like, why, why don't you just do exactly what you did to get four under through six? Right. I don't know. It's a, that's why golf's so hard. It's all mental. Well, and it, yeah, because I mean, it's, it's it really, again, it's deeper, but it reflect. it basically reflects your self image and what you believe by yourself. So if you're used to shooting 75 and you get deep under par, it, it gets uncomfortable. It's not like you to do that. So we get to that point where it's like, we don't want to screw that up. So we start getting into defense mode and, you know, hold on for dear life mode. Uh, my example of that one is always the the Falcons in the Super Bowl versus the Patriots. Yeah, like, nobody could beat the Patriots that year, but you know they get up on them twenty four points or something. They're throwing the ball everywhere. 
you know, just killing them. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, they're just trying to run out clock. They're just trying to hold on for dear life, change their game plan. And then they end up losing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's, it's all kinds of, it's, you see it all over sports is like how many teams blow leads in basketball. Cause they're just trying to, you know, not lose down the stretch and they're running out the clock and they're just getting into their offense with seven seconds left on the, on the shot clock and getting bad shots over and over again. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it is like that. It's that mentality of, of trying to keep just continuing to play well versus not trying to lose. Right. I think that's um, why match play match play. Certain people struggle with match play too. Because they start, they get so focused in on not losing holes that they just don't go win them. Like, oh, yeah, my, you, my opponent's in the woods. I just, or they, how many times do people three putt when they know they just need a two putt? <laughs> right, and it almost works the other way though. Some people are way better in match play because they know, you know, even if I triple bogey this hole, I'm only down one. <laughs> exactly. So it can work both ways, but it's a crazy mindset shift, man. Match play is a blast. And I just feel like there's not enough opportunity for for players to play in match play. I mean, there's a few tournaments here and there, at least locally. It might be different in different states. But, you know, in Illinois, I think in the junior ranks, they only have the one, the Chick Evans. And then, you know, you have your USGA stuff. There's just not a ton of match play stuff to play in, which is kind of a shame. And it's nuts now that the the national championship is determined by match play and at the college level, and they barely play any the whole year. Right. It's interesting. So, kind of last thing here. I mean, in a little off a different topic, but do you see any kind of changes to the tour in the next five to ten years? Do you think golf will ever go to a team sport? I mean, or do you think PJ is just going to kind of stay the PJ? Oh man, big question. Um, <laughs> I think this is that, supposed to be our ending question, but <laughs> they had that PGL threat that is quiet now. But I think that 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 was the idea that was more of a team concept. I think um, I think golf golf's kind of stuck on the tour in between this thing because it's not a pure meritocracy. It's not like tennis, you know, where tennis. If you're the 64th ranked player, you're getting in uh, to the in the 64th spot if everybody shows up, right? Like they have all these different statuses, and you know, a guy who has conditional status could finish second, and then the next week, you know, or in two weeks, not be in the tournament. Um, I think, I think a team concept for golf would be more appealing for just the the casual fan i think a pure meritocracy would be more more appealing for the hardcore fan and golf's kind of stuck in the middle which is a lot of times the worst place to be um because you've got guys like you know i i bang on this guy all the time but jj henry has an Mm -hmm. exemption on the pga tour because he made 300 cuts like what that in like why does he get rewarded to be on tour because he made 300 cuts he got rewarded by getting paid for all those years you know he's not one of the mm-hmm. 200 best players in the in the world and the PGA Tour's job should be putting forth the best players in the world uh on in as many week and in, in many tournaments as they can um 
and, and then you have guys that are like lighting it up. Will Zalatoris right now. Like there's no way you could say Will Zalatoris isn't one of the best 70 players in the world right now. He's finished top 10 in however many straight Corn uh, Ferry starts since it came back and he won last week. Like he's playing great golf. So I would love to see a system that allowed for more free flow like that where you know, we now are going to see these Corn Ferry guys. They're on. They're going to be on the Corn Ferry Tour. Uh, you know, Will Zalatoris isn't playing PGA Tour golf for a whole another year now, uh, unless he wins, you know, three tournaments and gets the battlefield exemption. But we saw it last year with Scotty Scheffler, where the best player, uh, you know, he was the best player on the Web.com Tour. And the year before that, it was Sung J M. And these guys immediately go to the tour and they're one of the best players on the PGA tour. And it's like, okay, we knew that these guys were better than the tour they were playing on. Why do they have to stay there for a year? You know? Sure. Yeah. It's interesting. And, and for, you know, for, for the people that want to hear more about this, I'm sure you guys talk a lot about this on your podcast, right? Yeah. Yeah. With some, sometimes. Yeah. We talk about a lot of nonsense too. Not all, not all seriousness. (laughs) Gotcha. You know, there's a lot of nonsense in there too, but, but yeah, this is, uh, these are core, you know, these are things that I think are just core issues with the product is like, you know, Sung JM, he, he was the, he, I think he, he might've been wire to wire money list winner for, uh, for the web.com. And then he goes on tour and he makes it to, you know, the FedEx cup finals and, you know, he's rookie of the year, but it's like, about halfway through the year, we knew that this guy, like, I think there needs to be something where, like, there's, like, promotions for excellence up halfway through. It doesn't need to be, you don't have to win three tournaments. That's just a ridiculously high bar that's happened a, a handful of times. Like, there needs to be a way to get the best players up to the PGA Tour faster because, there's so many great young players now, right? And you want to build their stardom sooner than later. Sure. That makes sense. Um, I don't makes know. Sense, That's man. my thought. Well, Andy, um, I appreciate your time, man. We'll, we'll wrap it up there. But uh, it was really good to get down here and talking with you. Brought a lot of great insight just from your own game, tour players. Um, there's, I mean, definitely a lot to take away here in you know, especially with some of the mentality shifts and what some players are going through out there. Uh, I really appreciate your insight, man. It was great having you on. Kyle, anytime. It's uh, glad to see this podcast is uh, growing and thriving and uh, and always fun to talk golf with you. I, uh, I got to get up to the, to the to your spot one of these days because uh, I'm I've I'm long overdue. We need to we need to work on on me turning my lower body for for an hour because I know that's what I'm not doing enough of. <laughs> same stuff, same stuff, man. <laughs> exactly. So, all right. Well, great stuff, everybody. Thanks for tuning in again. Make sure to check out Andy's podcast, The Fried Egg. Follow The Fried Egg. It's the best absolute information newsletter. I read it. I mean, what are you sending those out now? A couple of days a week. Three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We got yeah, Monday, it's... Wednesday, Friday podcast, the shotgun start, and then, uh, you know, about a weekly podcast on the, on the Friday. So, right on. So, best best tour stuff. news out there for sure. So, keep up the good work, my man. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. All right. Well, that's it for this week's episode. We hope you really enjoyed it. Andy Johnson, a longtime student and friend of mine, and 
just a great knowledge of golf and again brings a lot of insight from so many different realms of this so anyways thanks for tuning in we really appreciate you again if there's anything you need contact us uh instagram at the go low show contact our website www.thegolowshow.com or on facebook as well at the go low show so until next week john and i will be back to our regular scheduled program we can't wait to keep bringing you more great episodes to help your game